This is Hubwonk. I'm your host, Joe Selvaggi. Welcome to Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. The economic impact of the COVID-19 epidemic and the attending lockdowns have brought devastation to many of our high-profile industries, such as healthcare and education. But among the worst affected has been our erstwhile flourishing, but now ravaged restaurant industry. We Are Closed signs have become a ubiquitous restaurant feature across the Commonwealth. While some restaurateurs have pivoted to providing more takeout offerings or outdoor seating options, the industry's razor-thin profit margins offer little leeway for what will soon be a year of near-empty dining rooms. How are thousands of restaurant owners coping with the challenges presented by lockdowns? And what can legislators at the federal and state level do to help sustain them until vaccines can bring diners back? My guest today is Bob Luz, president of the Massachusetts Restaurant Association. Bob has led the organization since 2013, from what has been a restaurant renaissance in Boston and beyond, to the catastrophic impact of COVID-19 and the lockdowns. Bob will share with us some of the experiences of his members, how they are managing this crisis, and what legislators and we as consumers might do to help sustain an industry we hope will keep us well-fed when the pandemic is over. When I return, I'll be joined by Massachusetts Restaurant Association President Bob Luz. Okay, we're back. This is Hubwonk. I'm Joe Salvaggi, and I'm now joined by Bob Luz of the Massachusetts Restaurant Association. Welcome to the show, Bob. Thank you very much, Joe. Appreciate you having me here. Well, it's my pleasure. Now, to begin with, uh, if you'll pardon the pun, let's let's set the table for the restaurant uh, industry. Uh, you've been the head of the MRA since 2013. Uh, things are pretty good. Uh, I, uh, here in Boston, uh, it seems like somewhat of a renaissance. We've had restaurants pop up everywhere. So let's start our show by uh, uh, talking about the restaurant industry in early 2020. What did it look like? Yeah, I mean, January, February, March, um, you know, were probably the, you know, some of the best times, certainly coming through the fourth quarter of 19 and into the first quarter of, of 20, uh, were some of the best times our industry ever had seen. Uh, and um, restaurateurs were continuing to uh, grow. Uh, and I would say the biggest challenge we had at that point was, and you were starting to get a chorus of this, that there were too many restaurants out there. Um, again, as a result of sort of being the best of times, people were overexpanding. Um, and uh, secondly, which was the most challenging piece, we were totally out of employees to, you know, and there was a, a, an extreme shortage of certainly talented labor, especially at the hourly level, but into management as well. And to the point where some restaurateurs with planned projects were actually putting plans on hold or pushing them back because they just didn't have enough folks to staff their first restaurant or their second restaurant or their third restaurant before they opened a new one. Uh, so they would just pull them back a little bit. So we really were in the best of times as we turned the page into March 1st. Okay. So can you do you have the data on how many restaurants there were, how many employees? Yeah. Do you have a sense of the size of this industry in Massachusetts? Sure, I do. That's, that's part of our job. So, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, as of March 1st, uh, 2020, there were just slightly over 16,000 
uh, restaurants in the Massachusetts area. That's Boston, Pittsfield, Newburyport to uh, uh, Provincetown. Uh, and um, there were uh, just, just over about 301,000 employees that worked within the four walls of those restaurants. That does not include the, you know, literally tens of thousands, probably approaching 100,000 of workers that supplied us with goods and services that are sold and utilized through restaurants as well. So uh, an immense industry, in fact, uh, representing one in 10 jobs in the uh, Massachusetts workforce at that point. That's quite a a percentage. It's quite a number of jobs, 301,000. What's the profile of the people re-employed in these restaurants? So, um, you know, again, uh, there's a, obviously a very significant part-time population, which, uh, you know, we're, we're the second job for a lot of people. Um, we're the job of convenience for a lot of folks uh, and, you know, provide extra income, you know, whether you're a, um, a, married, uh, uh, a married worker with, uh, whose husband or wife uh, has, a, has a full-time day job and, and you're supplementing it you know, nights and weekends, uh, serving tables or cooking, whatever it might be. Um, There's an awful lot of that. Um, You know, we are uh, largely a younger workforce. Uh, The demands of the job are on your feet a lot and running. And, you know, for anybody that's ever been a restaurant manager, and I, you know, clearly have been, you know, on a 10-hour shift, um, you're probably logging in, you know, five to seven miles by the time you're, you're all said and done. Um, and servers, you know, do that as well. Um, and the, the other piece is, uh, we are the land of hope and opportunity for an awful, awful lot of people. And, uh, new immigrants make up a, a good portion of our workforce and, um, they're in a very important, uh, group of our workforce and, uh, terrific people, hardworking people, and literally, uh, individuals that can come in and, you know, be taught a new language if they don't have English as a second language um, and learn the skill sets necessary to not only succeed in their job as an hourly employee, but to progress and move into middle, you know, into management and ultimately into ownership. And, and we're a path, uh, you know, to, to uh, growth, uh, career growth like no other industry out there. So uh, literally a machine of the... Uh... American dream right there, right? Yeah, no, I mean, there's no question about it. I mean, you know, uh, you know, it's it's heartwarming. And and quite honestly, it's what kept, has kept me in this business since, uh, you know, I graduated from UMass Amherst with a degree in hospitality management, we'll just say over 30 years ago. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I stayed in this business this entire time because I just, you love to see people whose lives can change forever. And, uh, and we really do help people do that. And, uh, it's a terrific, uh, it's a terrifically heartwarming uh, story and industry in terms of how we look at that. Those folks, they, they truly are part of the family in every restaurant across Massachusetts. Well, we've started the show on a positive note. Let's uh, now introduce reality. Uh, we're moving from early uh, 2020 into March. Uh, literally everything uh, changed in March and your restaurants, along with many businesses, were mandated to be closed. Uh, at a high level, what does a restaurant owner do when his restaurant closes? Um, how does how does that work? Uh, well, there was clearly no playbook for it. Um, 
you know, look, um, restauranters are a resilient bunch. Um, they plan for, you know, a, a blizzard for on a weekend every winter. Um, so they have, they know that there's going to be a few days that they're closed. Um, but you just can't, you couldn't have planned for this and, and they weren't ready for it, quite frankly. Um, so many, when that first order came out, and don't forget, we were the first industry to get shut down. March 15th, Lieutenant Governor called me and said, you know, by the end of today, we're going to be announcing this. Uh, how long do we need and, and how do we get ready for it? Um, you know, no one was ready for it. Uh, I mean, first of all, ultimately food, uh, the amount of food that, um, you know, restaurateurs literally gave a lot of the food that they had on hand to their employees because it was just going to spoil. Um, and again, that's the type of people that they are. Uh, but our, our business partners weren't prepared for this. And, and the amount of fresh product that just got backed up and, and got wasted. And, and, you know, these our business partners who are incredible to the industry, they got hit as hard, if not harder than restaurants right out of the gate. So, uh, it was just a, an awful experience. A lot of restaurateurs. So you have two sort of two camps, if you would. When we got shut down, we were a lot. We were we were essential workers. We still are. Um, and uh, restaurants were allowed to pivot and, and uh, take out and delivery was allowed. Two camps. One uh, restaurants that are built and set up for that type of business. That would be a local you know, pizzeria. Uh, that would be a local sub shop. That would be. McDonald's and Burger King and other quick casual Chipotle's, you know, those folks were set up for that type of business. But by and large, the full service restaurant industry absolutely wasn't. At the time, some restaurants were dabbling in takeout and, and nobody was really doing delivery in that side of the business. Um, and uh, so many decided, well, it's a three week shutdown. So I'll just shut down. And um and so they did. Uh, and then, as we know, it quickly expanded. Um, and what you had was you had restaurateurs that, as they saw it evolving in front of them, they started to say, okay, wait a minute, maybe I do need to figure this out. And slowly, some people started to come back in, especially as it dragged on um, and uh, would open, you know, opened up and tried to adjust to that and, and move towards uh, takeout and delivery. Uh, and it was a huge learning experience. I mean, you literally had to reset your restaurant. You had to, you know, I mean, you're talking about, you know, on the high side, a restaurant was probably at that point doing 92% of their sales within the four walls of the restaurant and 8% with maybe takeout. And that was probably a lot. The pivot would be, and I'll, I'll jump to sort of the middle of the summer. In the middle of the summer, that sales model probably looked more like 25% takeout sales. Um, 40% outdoor dining, which again, the vast majority of restaurants didn't have before this, and uh, 35% of uh, sales within the four walls. So it really, really changed the business model for restaurants. And, and they have had to uh, really reimagine and remake their, their operations, their business model, and how they have to figure out how they can continue to keep the people employed and still make sure that they try to at least break even, which is a challenge when you have that big of a change. So this is a, a massive pivot, as you say, from uh, you know, the four walls to something else, takeaway and, and uh, outdoor dining. 
uh, and to pivot uh, to create outdoor space, uh, to uh, create a new business for a takeaway takes uh, a lot of money. Uh, were there rainy day funds? Did the average uh, uh, restaurant have the reserves? How does a, a restaurant business uh, do all this uh, on the fly? Yeah, this is one of one of the great things about our industry is um, the barriers to entry are 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 not many. One of the terrible things about our industry is the barriers to entry are, are many. And again, uh, to your point, Joe, uh, a restaurant that's doing well uh, in the industry probably looks at a five to six percent bottom line. Those are people that are doing well. So not everybody gets that point. That is not a lot of room for error. That is not a lot of room to, again, change your business model and need all this new packaging for your food that usually you just put on a plate that you wash. So there's no ongoing cost um, to have outdoor facilities that you didn't plan for that you have to somehow, you know, not only make sure it's there, but make sure it's comfortable and it looks good and it looks safe. Um, and you know, it, it, it was a huge challenge. And the, the truth is most restaurateurs probably had 30 to 60 days of operating capital in an account. Um, and when you were shut down for three plus months to start, uh, that went pretty darn quick. And so, uh, that's why, you know, as we went through this and, and, you know, sort of to go back to that March 15th day, um, from shutdown until we reopened, um, we lost, uh, of the 16,000, 3,400 restaurants have never reopened. That's about 23% of the total, a staggering number. Uh, and a more staggering number, and the one that, and I'll talk about this in a second, that every restaurateur talked about first and foremost through this whole thing. Uh, during the, that time, 255,000 of the 300,000 employees in the industry were furloughed for all or part of that time. And to date, we have not recalled 39% or you know, roughly 100,000 of them, just have simply not been recalled. The entire time, I, I gotta tell you this, and there's this, this things that uh, honestly just bring you to tears about this industry and the philanthropic nature of restaurateurs uh, their community gathering spots, they, they're there for the communities all the time. It, it's incredible that that has continued in the absolute worst of times. I mean, it's just, it takes my breath away at times. And But the thing that every restaurateur I've talked to, when I've talked to them for the first time or the 10th time, they don't talk to me about their sales and profits. The first thing they talk to me about is their employees. Um, and they talk to me about the need to keep it going, to need to keep them employed, because if not, what are they going to do? And especially for the new immigrants that, you know, um, the, the, the state, you know, helped out with, you know, expediting unemployment insurance and extending how long people could get it. The feds came in with a plan, but that left all the new immigrants behind. And so um, that has been first and foremost on every restaurateur's mind this entire time. I've seen, uh, you, you mentioned uh, things got a little better in the summertime. Uh, uh, not, not the least of which the reason was, uh, they were able to open up outdoors and it was no longer cold. I live in back Bay. I saw Newbury street transformed into something that looked yeah. uh, reminiscent of Paris, not quite, but, yeah. uh, really, uh, it seemed to make everyone happy. 
Um, how did that work? Uh, did the restaurateurs you know that were able to open up, it, it could have been the parking lot in the, in the suburban mall, um, did that work? Um, did people uh, come back and uh, enjoy dining uh, outdoors? Yeah, so first of all, it didn't happen by accident. Right just before June 8th, when we were supposed to reopen, uh, I got a call from the governor's office, actually Lieutenant Governor Polito, uh, and she said to me, we are gonna open on June 8th, but it's gonna be outdoors only, and I said, Literally, you know, 81% of the restaurants in Massachusetts don't have outdoors only. And so uh, they quickly, and, and again, I, I've got to say, we've gotten a tremendous amount of help from the lieutenant governor, especially who's really been the liaison for us and the governor. But the, the administration has gone out of their way to try and figure out how they can help us. And I know they get banged pretty good because, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of people that don't want any restrictions. And I understand that. But you know, when I look at other states and where they are and where we are, you know, we're, we're in better straits than a lot of a lot of states out there. Um, but they pivoted uh, themselves and produced a, an emergency order that opened up outdoor dining and took a um, what is normally through permitting and processing an eight to 12 week um, process, took it down to giving giving the ability to the cities and towns to do it and to do it within three days. Uh, and, you know, those cities and towns, for the most part, took it to heart, including, you know, Boston, where you are, Joe. Uh, Mayor Walsh was very adamant about trying to make that happen. I think he had 500 licenses up and approved in the first uh, two weeks. Um, and it tra it does tra it transformed, you know, Newbury Street, especially Hanover. I mean, uh, in the North End, it did look like Little Italy. Um, <laughs> you know, it looked like being over in Rome. Um, and it was fun. It was exciting. Um, you know, cities and towns embrace their Waltham uh, with Moody Street, with all the different restaurants they have and Needham and, and um, you know, uh, different different places all around the state. And I, I got to say most, but not all, uh, most of those cities and towns really acted quickly to, to help them out. The governor also reacted and got some money out to Main Street's programs to help restaurateurs get those spaces up. And it was really helpful. I mean, through the summer, um, we no one no one won in the restaurant industry, I, but restaurateurs on the suburbs uh, actually fared a little bit better uh, and and far better than restaurants in the uh, city. Boston was has really been devastated by this and has always been my biggest concern. So uh, we've talked about the summer. Now we're coming closer. Let's let's move into modern times here. Uh, here we are in late uh, January, but we're post holiday season where we saw some spikes, uh, and we still have lockdowns. Um, so first, I want to say there's been a lot of finger wagging about where uh, these outbreaks, why we're getting such uh, transmission despite wearing masks and using hygiene. And among the the those being wagged at are restaurants. Uh, many people uh, attribute the continuous spread of the virus to restaurants. Do you, do you, do you see this as a, as a problem, either in perception or in reality? So uh, that is a urban myth. This um, <laughs> is the best way I can put it. And, you know, and this is where I do give the governor a lot of credit because there have been incredible high levels of experts that have been, as you point out, Joe, pointing the finger at restaurants. And the reason they point finger at restaurants is because, you know, when we go into a retail environment, um, yeah, we do have a mask on the entire time. Well, you, when you're in a restaurant, yes, you take a mask off um, while you eat and drink. I mean, you have to. We do, you know we don't have that ability. Um, and uh, 
but the science doesn't back it up. And that's the, the point that the governor has always made is restaurants are not the problem. It's the, the problem is being driven by uh, private gatherings where, you know, when you walk into a restaurant, it is a supervised, um, uh, you know, uh, protocol following uh, uh, gathering of people, but done so at six foot social distancing. Uh, and they are the restaurants are absolutely on top of that. And many have installed plexiglass beyond that to make it even safer. Um, and um, they follow every protocol. I think the ABCC since the uh, who inspects the restaurants uh, in, in the whole COVID era, I think they're up to like 18,000 um, inspections that they've done since last the end of August. And um, it's a 98% compliance uh, rate for uh, full compliance with the expected protocols. So restaurateurs are doing exactly what they've been asked to. And when you look at the results on contact tracing, less than 0.4% of all cases contract back to restaurants. Uh, I just saw a report on the news last night. They analyzed the last uh, 30 days uh, of cases. Um, and uh, literally it was about, there was uh, less than uh, 5%, it was less than 0.5% over the last month, traced back to a restaurant, and by and far, it was like fifty-seven cases, fifty-seven thousand cases uh, were being driven during that time from uh, so home gatherings and, and socializing, uh, where there were, weren't established standards and supervised protocols. So, uh, so the science doesn't back it up, and the governor's gone out of his way to say we're safe. Uh, at the same time, he did roll everybody back to 25%, not just restaurants. So, you know, everybody moved to that. And, and that was very tough. And that, you know, I, I can tell you the Lieutenant Governor was very emotional. She was very worried because she knew most importantly, the smallest of restaurants were really going to be uh, hit hard on that. And a lot of them have had to close um, or have moved to, to just model, uh, just take out and delivery models. Um, and, a bunch of restaurants, uh, as you know, in the greater Boston area, especially, have decided to hibernate as went to, you know, came upon us. And uh, they've just done the math to say, I'm gonna, we're going to lose a lot less money if we close down, uh, get through this, and then try to reopen, um, you know, say April 1st when the weather sort of turns. And, you know, I, I got to say, you know, for the first time, um, myself and our chair, Jeff Gates, um, who's an interesting story here. I'll, I'll mention him in just a second. I, um, we're both saying the same thing. For the first time, we can see the other side. You know, before this, it was just out of view. And we were swimming and swimming and swimming, and we never saw the shoreline. We can see the shoreline now. Um, it's still a long swim, and we're tired, and we we got, you know, we got we've got a really... Um, save our energy to make sure that we're able to get there. But just being able to see it starts to give you a breath of fresh air and some optimism. And, and I think, you know, there's a strong feeling we get to April 1st, we have a bunch of shots and arms, probably not as many as we want right now, but we'll have an, we'll have an awful lot. Uh, we'll be continuing to grow. I think it'll be a lot smoother by then. Um, and uh, people will come outside 
the weather will turn with us. Outdoor dining is here to stay. If I look at bright spots through this, I think that's going to be something that um, Massachusetts will look back on and say, boy, you know, that that was a good thing that came out of the pandemic because I think this is going to be here to stay for a long time. Um, And, you know, people's confidence will be up and the pent up desire is going to be there to come back into restaurants. So I I mentioned Joe, Jeff Gates, he's our chair. And this is an incredible example. Here's a guy who's working on behalf of every restaurateur in the state. He's been a partner. He was a partner in uh, uh, the Aquitaine groups, uh, eight restaurants. Right now they have zero open. Um, And Jeff is pivoting and starting to rebuild um, and, and, and literally going to hopefully be opening up a, a restaurant here uh, come April 1st. Um, but he continues to fight for every restaurant that are out there. He continues to be concerned about every employee that's either working or on the sidelines. And, um, you know, he's an example of uh, this industry and how caring it is about each other and about the communities that they serve. Well. I'm grateful that he uh, opened Aquitaine. It happens to be among my favorite restaurants here in, in, in South End. Uh, I, I look forward to the day when it reopens. Um, and moving away from um, purely a COVID conversation, uh, some of our other uh, representatives of large business organizations uh, have been on the show and talked about 2021 being uh, among, uh, uh, characterized as the perfect storm. There's several uh, uh, legislative changes coming down uh, in 2021 that will affect small business owners. Um, the Family Medical Leave Act uh, increases the minimum wage, other regulations. Are there other uh, hurdles that your uh, members need to clear uh, in addition to getting beyond uh, COVID-19? Yeah, well, you know, uh, the good news is, uh, you know, within the last probably three weeks of, of us taping today, uh, we have gotten a number of, uh, of, you know, wins, if you would, from the legislature. We've been pushing for a long time for them, but um, you know, the governor, uh, when he did roll back uh, to 25%, came out with the largest grant package in America for a state to offer to small employers and restaurants were at the front of that bus. Um, that was very helpful. Um, the, the legislature, uh, the House and Senate, and, and I want to give a shout out to uh, the heads of uh, Ways and Means, uh, uh, Representative Michael Witz and uh, Oh, Jesus. Uh, the Senate, I brought, Mike Rodericks, I apologize. Uh, both of them worked hard on an economic uh, development bill, uh, and it finally came out of committee, and there was a bunch of wins in there uh, to help restaurants. So those were most important. Uh, going forward, you know, look, we've, we've had changes that were already there, to your point, Joe, um, that really do affect the smaller, smaller employers pretty strongly. And Increases in minimum wage, increases in the tip wage, most importantly, because two-thirds of our employees are, are, are tipped, and they make far more than minimum wage. And there's an argument that they don't, you know, that's a, that's a an increase that doesn't need to be there because they naturally get an increase through menu price uh, inflation. Um, uh, the, the new leave... Uh, uh, Cost is, again, significant for the small place. So all of this is coming at a bad time for the industry. Um, what we do also have coming up, um, the legislature was nice enough to extend us on um, uh, beer and wine and then added alcohol to go. Um, and and, and uh, when they did this action, they, they did it through February 28th. Of course, everybody assumed it would 
we'd be long through the pandemic by then. So we're right now working with the legislature to try and get that extended. And we're going to actually ex ask it to extend until the same point that um, the governor's uh, outdoor uh, seating uh, 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 legislation goes through, which will be 60 days post lifting of emergency orders. And so we're trying to mirror that now. Um, that's that's going to be critical for restaurants because, again, we can package uh, things up for the guests and, and you can grab a a meal to go, a bottle of wine, or you know some of your favorite, you know Michael Schlau margaritas or whatever it is, and um, and um, you know that's really important for us, and and it's a way for us to extend into people's homes, and so there's uh, you know I will say this: the legislature, you want them to move as quick as possible, and and sometimes uh, sometimes that slows down a little bit uh, through normal politics, uh, but they have clearly along with the administration understood restaurants no no industry has been spared in this restaurants clearly uh, are the worst hit and this is not a this is not a list you want to be number one on uh, but we are number one on it well we're getting close to the end of the our time together um what would you like to say to our listeners who want to do their part to help jumpstart uh uh the the industry's recovery uh, again um I live in the middle of Boston. Uh, we could be doing our best, but there aren't that many people here. It's it's still, I know the city seems at, uh, asleep. Uh, there's no one downtown. Uh, even in Back Bay and Beacon Hill, there's just no one on the street. Uh, we can't make people that aren't here. What 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 can those of us who, as we come back, can, what can we do for restaurants to uh, help them come back faster? Yeah, no, so uh, it's a great point, uh, Joe. So first of all, um, take out and to go. If, you, if you're not comfortable coming back in, again, you know, Hopefully, people are a little bit more comfortable hearing those staggering statistics that less than 0.4% of the spread is coming to a restaurant. But, um, you know, uh, if, you, if you're not comfortable coming back in, uh, takeout and delivery is a wonderful way to go. Again, we'd prefer that you take it out yourself as opposed to having it delivered. There is a fee associated, although that was, was one of the wins in the economic development bill was the limiting of those fees. But... Um, you know, again, uh, uh, ordering takeout and delivery is really important. Buying gift cards uh, and utilizing gift cards, uh, giving them as, as gifts uh, to help help spur that. I will say the Boston Globe, uh, I've worked with uh, editor uh, Brian McGrory um, and, and the team in the food section here over the past few weeks. And they've just launched a, a big initiative here to try to say the, the way we're going to get through the next 12 weeks is by driving takeout and delivery. And uh, they're going to continue to support that. I'm, we're hoping to expand some, some pieces of that and make it a little bit more exciting. Um, but the other thing is, uh, and, and the place that's been hurt the most is downtown Boston and the, you know, Cambridge, some of them even. Um, this is a great time for people to come in and experience Boston, experience restaurants. They, they don't think that they can get into. I mean, Look, Massachusetts, Boston especially, but Massachusetts in general, but Boston especially, was a culinary destination nationally and internationally. I mean, we have some of the top chefs, not only in the country, but in the world. And, you know, if you're thinking about restaurants that you couldn't get into because it's too busy and there's, you know, there's a ball game or there's this or there's that, now's the time to come in and now's the time to support them. And again, especially in Boston, because to your point, Joe, we have so many licenses in Boston. 
but none of the none of the drivers of traffic that normally warrants having that many uh, restaurants um, because it's just the population, 650, 675,000 people. Um, but we have 1,100 licenses just in Boston, uh, alcohol licenses. So, um, you know, come in and experience it. You know, come in, uh, walk the streets, uh, enjoy it, um, and not have to worry about, you know, uh, too many people from Canada or or uh, Europe or, or the Far East or Louisiana, you know, taking your spot in line and and bumping you out of the duck boats or the or, or or jumping onto, you know, all the history that we have here. I mean, it's a time to come back in and and really enjoy everything that is uh, what makes Boston uh, and the and the surrounding areas such a great great area. So I'd encourage people to do that. I appreciate it. And not to mention there's plenty of parking uh, because there's no, no people. <laughs> Again, something you could never find. Normally. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate your time today, Bob. Uh, that was a great conversation. I hope uh, our listeners uh, learned a lot about the industry and best of luck uh, April 1st and beyond uh, for your industry. I, I hope you come back stronger than ever. Well, Joe, thank you. Appreciate you responsibly reporting about the plight of the restaurant industry and you know, I appreciate uh, on behalf of all restaurateurs uh, across the state, um, we appreciate all the efforts of the legislature to help us get through this. And most importantly, our guests. And uh, they have been overwhelming in their support and overwhelming in their desire to make sure that restaurants get through this to the other side. And and uh, so we just need a little bit more help to get there. But we appreciate them. We can't wait to welcome them back in and and. Uh, bump elbows with them and, and have great times again. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Bob. Thank you. This has been another episode of Hubwonk, a podcast of Pioneer Institute, a think tank in Boston. If you enjoyed today's show, there are several ways to support us. It would be easier for you and better for us if you subscribe to Hubwonk. As a subscriber, you can offer a five-star rating and a favorable review. And of course, it would be great if you share us with friends. If you would like to offer comments or ideas for future episodes, you can contact me at hubwonk at pioneerinstitute.org. Please join me next week for a new episode of Hubwonk.